1: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, December 3rd, 2012. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm,
2: mm -mm. Okay. Hmm.
1: I, I can't keep up. I... Is is it possible to suffer from heresy overload? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. Sadly, there are a lot of folks out there who are claiming kind of an inside track with God. And what I mean by that is, is that, well, <clears throat> they have claims of ascending into heaven, of drinking from God's uh, heavenly wine cellar, of, of having direct experience and direct revelation from God. And some of these folks are very organized, and their organizations, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, are very cultic. In the way they're organized and in the way they operate. In fact, what we're going to be doing on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, second half of this first hour, is we're going to be uh, doing a roundup. Um, I'm going to kind of walk you through what we know so far regarding the uh, IHOP murder case. If you're not familiar with this particular case... Um, It's rather interesting and the story has some funny – not funny, but funny like in bizarre, like out of sorts that don't add up interesting twists to it that are worth passing along. In fact, today um, uh, – earlier today I was on Brandon House's uh, Worldview uh, uh, weekend program and uh, discussing IHOP and talking about uh, the claims regarding it being a cult. We're going to take a look at some of that today. Because I think it's important that we do so, um, you know, at least put something out there that uh, you know at least alerts people to uh, what the what the problems are there at IHOP. And l- let me tell you, that I can't do the topic justice in like thirty minutes. It's 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 it. it mm. What I can do is I can point you to some resources. Point you to some resources where people are taking the time to document, and I mean document. Uh, what's really going wrong out there with uh with IHOP out in Kansas City? And what I find interesting about the story is that like immediately out of the shoot, when the uh, the the word came out that this uh, 27 year old uh, young lady had been murdered um by one of the uh, people at IHOP. Uh, one of the the leaders at IHOP, and and you have to you have to put that in quotes because there's this particular way in which he was a leader that uh, immediately Mike Bickle and IHOP tried to distance themselves uh, from uh, this kid, and we'll uh, I'll give you all the details and the names, and you know kind of walk you through it a little bit uh, later in the hour here, but this goes back to kind of a fundamental problem. And that is this: is that with many of the charismatic and Pentecostal uh, and those people who are caught up in the signs and wonders, new apostolic reformation stuff like that, um, they they have a false pneumatology. They the Holy Spirit that they believe in. You know, when you look at the details of this Holy Spirit, it don't jive with the biblical Holy Spirit and uh, what His role is. And so these people are literally, you know, out there claiming direct prophecies from God. And over and again, when you have that happening, what happens, especially in an organization like IHOP, those who are, you know, your, your average grassroots attenders and members and, and folks like that, uh, the, what comes away from the, the teaching is this: is well, if Mike Bickle's hearing directly from God, if Misty Edwards is hearing directly from God, then I dare not challenge what Micah is saying, what Misty is saying, or or go against the organization, because to do so would be to well, challenge God himself. And what what happens over and again, you know, in churches that have vision casting pastors or pastors who, you know, some, you know, at the drop of a hat say, yeah, you know, I was uh, walking down the street. And then all of a sudden God said to me, hey, why don't you pick up that penny? I, you know, I had somebody drop over there for you. Oh, wow. Thanks, God, for this wonderful penny. I'm glad you're talking to me. Hey, how's it going up there? Oh, it's going great. You know, how's it down there? Oh, it's just fantastic. And, and so what happens is you have this, the, you know, this constant dialogue thing and you, that's not within <clears> – <throat> our normal experience, um, I don't have those types of experiences like ever. Um, and so what happens is, is that it's really easy for somebody who's new to the faith or, um, you know, not quite familiar with this type of thing to go, well, um, you know, I've never had this happen to me. Maybe I'm less of a Christian because, um, I never have God talk to me or I've never had dreams or visions. In fact, my life is... Kind of difficult right now, God, and you know not only do you not talk to me, but you know I'm having a hard time paying the bills, or you know my my dog is sick, or you know you just name the litany of things that go wrong in you know, in, in your life, and and sometimes those things come in swarms, right? And so you sit there and you go, maybe maybe there's something wrong with me, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not doing something. Maybe, and you see what what happens is when those doubts arise, what happens is is where do the doubts go? Right to the law. <clears throat> I'm just not holy enough to receive direct revelation. I don't know the secret to having direct revelations from God. I'm just not I maybe I just don't have enough faith, or I just notice the you know notice how the talk is. Maybe it's just that that's those people aren't really hearing from God, and that's a scam to get you to not focus on God's revelation that you know you can trust that would be his word you know that you can trust his word and when somebody claims to be receiving special revelation from God I don't care who they are um, immediately they go into a category of quarantine you must quarantine them and literally do an entire theological toxicology uh, you know exam you have to run a battery of tests to decide whether or not that person is a true prophet or a false prophet. Because there's only two kinds, true and false. And here's the deal. If any prophet claims to be a prophet or claims to be receiving direct revelation from God, and that revelation doesn't pan out, the details don't take place. You know, think about it. I'll give you like an easy one. Um, back when I was uh, initially studying uh, the cults, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and stuff like that, the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they were known um, for biffing it, um, regarding their prophecies regarding the return of Christ. Uh, during the 1920s, there were several prophecies stated by the watchtower Bible and Tract society when Jesus would come back. And, uh, those who've done the research on the watchtower, um, uh, generally have those prophecies, uh, available via facsimile or, you know, or, you know, photocopy in their, uh, in their collection that they can go to, because here's the deal. The, the, uh, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society claims to be the faithful and true servant of Christ. And uh, and speaking prophetically, well, they've shown that they're a false prophetic organization. And if you if you prophesy something and it don't come to pass, well, you're a false prophet. That means God ain't talking to you. And as Deuteronomy says, you don't need to fear somebody like that. No, not at all. The person whom you you are to be listening to is Jesus. And I'm not talking about Jesus speaking into your heart. I'm talking about you opening your Bible and reading. Trust me. you, You can spend your entire lifetime studying Scripture. You could study it in the original languages. You could study it with the help of commentaries, really dig into different passages or entire books. You by the t- If you started today, by the time you died, so let's say that God gives you a full life and you die somewhere in your mid-90s, you still will have not mastered God's word, nor will you have exhausted what Christ has to say to you in the written word. We can trust it because Jesus himself says that it's the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away according to Jesus, but God's word will never, ever pass away. The sure and certain thing that the Apostle Peter points us to is the written word. Not the liver shiver inside of your heart. Not some ecstatic worship experience or anything like that. The written word of God. You can trust it. And keep this in mind. Anybody who claims to be a prophet must be tested against God's word. What does that tell you? What that tells you is, is that if they're saying anything that's contrary to or added to the written word of God, that they are to be rejected as a false prophet, which means that if they're being tested by the written word of God, then we have everything we already need in God's word. And is that not exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3? In fact, let me pull that up real quick 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hang on a second. Sorry, I didn't mean to sing to you. <clears throat> Here's what he says to a uh, young pastor, Timothy. Yep. Right here. Verse 14. Here's what it says. But as for you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you have known those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, or completely equipped for every good work. There isn't a good work that Christ would have you do that requires you to have a direct revelation from him. Nope. Everything that you need to be equipped for every good work that Christ is going to call you to, you, can, you get via the scriptures, the written word of God. You can trust it. It is the thing by which we test everybody who claims to be a prophet against, which means we don't need any prophets. We don't. Something to consider. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Three things. We're going to take a listen to, we're going to do a Patricia King Gang update. There's a gal out there named uh, Terry Seacrest, who is uh, one of the uh, Patricia King Gang XP Media channel partners, and we're going to be listening to her talking about supernatural health. Now, now, if there's anyone on the planet who could really use some supernatural health, it would be me. I need some supernatural health, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can glean some... You know, some insights here so that I can experience some super... So if you're in need of supernatural health, well, this is your lucky day. We'll be covering that here at Fighting for the Faith. Then what we'll do is we'll take our break, and then when we come back from the break, we're going to do our kind of news roundup. Uh, Kind of give you... Kind of bring you up to speed on the IHOP murder story, because there's some interesting things going on here. That's all I got to say. Some funny business is going on. And then when we're done with that, we'll take a break and we'll come back for uh hour. Number two, we're going to be doing a sermon review. We're going to be going back to ignite church in uh, Joplin, Missouri, and listen to a <clears throat> Masloration entitled death of a movement, uh, delivered by Heath Mooneyhan out there at ignite church in Joplin, Missouri. Um, it's, a mess it's an absolute train wreck but anyway so that's what we'll be doing on today's edition of fighting for the faith and just to let you know we have we're well, we are experimenting at the moment with a youtube channel now uh, that does not mean you get to see me on video i <laughs> you know <laughs> that's just not happening right now anyway yeah see once i experience supernatural health and uh, And lose maybe a good sixty pounds, maybe i 'll consider you know actual video of Roseboro, but you know for select certain things, but yes yeah, i 've got a, the perfect face and the perfect body for radio, so you know it's not so don 't think that we 're using it for that, but what we 're doing is is i 'm taking uh, select topics that we 've covered here at Fighting for the Faith, certain segments, not in the entire program, but certain segments and making them available on YouTube uh, for this reason. Um, well, actually, several reasons. One is it makes it easier for you to share them with friends and family. So, if there's a particular segment that you really, really, really would like me to tease out and make it its own thing at YouTube, send me a fight. You know, send me an email at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And depending on uh, the proper level of begging and pleading, I may <laughs> make, make that into a standalone segment that over at YouTube. But the other thing is by having it at YouTube. I think it might create some more opportunities for people to happen across uh, the uh, the radio program so that they could have their eyes open to uh, some of the deception that's going on out there in the church. So that's kind of my idea. So, and you can find it at youtube.com forward slash fighting the number four the faith fighting for the number four the faith. So that's our YouTube channel. And we, over the weekend, I, we were furiously putting up a whole bunch of, uh, of videos. In fact, that's one. if I sound a little bit tired, it's because I, I don't really think I had much of a break over the weekend. It just seems like the whole thing was just chock full of work. But anyway, so with that, we are going to uh, dive into our program proper. And since we're doing a Patricia King gang update, uh, well, that requires us to do this. So, um, have you ever wondered what the secrets are to experiencing supernatural health? And um, have you noticed that if somebody's trying to sell you the secrets to supernatural health, that maybe what they're really trying to do is sell you something? Here's uh, Terry Seacrest of the Patricia King Gang to explain to us the, the basic concepts of how God has supposedly made provision for us for supernatural healing. Yeah, you just got to listen. Here's Terry Seacrest.
3: How many of you uh, stay seated if you're feeling okay, but if you're feeling a little bit tired right now and you feel like you just need a little boost, would you stand up?
4: I don't want to stand up. Hang on. All right.
3: We have a gift for you. If you just need a little boost, your energy's kind of... You wanted me to stand up for a
1: gift, but you can't give me the gift because it's on a video. I feel cheated. I stood up for nothing.
3: Oh, oh, the whole place is standing up. Okay. Well, um, I have some wellness coaches here that are going to come around, and anybody that's standing, uh, they're going to attempt to uh, service you and and give you a boost. It's called... It's a powerful antioxidant drink out of Heaven's Garden with no...
1: (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> out of where? An antioxidant drink out of heaven's garden. What's that?
3: Caffeine, just a powerhouse. Be sure, ladies, if you could give all the speakers and the people that are uh, speaking, be sure to give them some. Jan, if you wouldn't mind, in the front row, they're all in the front row. Patricia and her team, especially the XP Media team that's been working so hard, be sure to give them some. That would be Amazing. And um, in a few minutes, we're going to actually let you experience the holy anointing oil of frankincense. Would
1: you? I get to experience the holy anointing oil of frank. How are you going to do this through a video?
3: Enjoy that? To actually experience?
1: By the way, I'm allergic to it. Just want to let you know.
3: Be able to smell it, to breathe it in and enjoy that. So we're going to do that as well. Oh, good. So... um Today, what I'd like to just take 20, possibly 30 minutes and really talk about partnering.
1: Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to play the whole thing.
3: God to create supernatural health.
1: So you want me to partner with God to create supernatural health. Okay, can I just ask the obvious question? And that's this. Um, How come out of every time that I've read the Bible... Cover to cover, you know, from Genesis to maps. How come every single time I've read the Bible from cover to cover, I have yet to find any passages that basically tell me that I need to partner with God so that I can experience supernatural health? It just doesn't seem to be part of any of the texts that I've read, and I'm pretty committed to reading the Bible very regularly, large portions of it, daily basis. You understand what I'm saying?
3: And is there anybody that agrees with me that it is absolutely God's will for us to be healthy and strong and vibrant?
1: Where are you getting that from? It's it's absolutely God's will for me to be healthy, strong, and vibrant. Well, how come I don't look like I did when I was 18? You, you do understand that when I was 18, I was pretty good looking, you know? I was skinny and, um, you know, didn't have blemishes and, you know, and a big nose and things like that. And didn't have, well, then you know, I, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. If you saw pictures of me when I was 18 years old, you'd think what happened? So, um, and you do understand that this is something I've noticed that is not just limited to me. Okay. Like, when, if I happen to visit your home, oh, listener of Fighting for the Faith, and we were to take a look at your photographs when you were 18 and compare them to what you look like now, unless you're 18 years old listening to Fighting for the Faith, in which case, take a note, put it down, save those Instagrams because you'll be looking back at them and, go, and your kids will say something to the effect of, wow, dad, you look great. What happened? You know. Anyway, so um, because here's the deal. It's not limited to me. I, this is something I've noticed. All of my family members, all of my relatives, everybody that I know, we've all gotten older. And as we've gotten older, well, certain things stopped working properly. Uh, there's more an increase in, in medication needs and things like that. And uh, and you know, sad to say this, but some of the people I knew growing up, well, they're now dead Okay, you know, I think about, you know, one of my aunts, she had she had cancer and she died from it. And so, you know, I, you know, I think about things like this and I'm going, are you really, 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 really sure that the Bible says that God wants me right now to experience supernatural health? Because I'm pretty sure that um, the wages of sin is death and that I've got a date with a grave sometime in the near future. You, You know, you understand what I'm saying?
3: And live out our days And absolutely, I'm so excited. So, um, now, how would I change? Is there a little button for me to change, or should I just say change? Okay, change to the next slide, please. And I just so love this, because um, if we look at this, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof.
1: Psalm 24-1, yeah.
3: Can you actually close your eyes for just a moment?
1: No, no, I won't.
3: And if you close your eyes, what would it look like if you could see in the spiritual realm the fullness?
1: I have no clue. What does the fullness look like in the spiritual realm? What kind of question is this?
3: Of the Lord. What would it be like to smell the fullness of the earth?
1: I, I, I have no idea. I mean, you, you do realize that in the fullness of the earth, there's things like... Well, large cattle ranches and, and you know decaying tires and things like you know when I take driving trips you know there's certain areas that I drive by where the the odor is just horrific um, you know and and you know, I just you drive the I five once you get past the Grapevine and you're heading north towards San Francisco there's a cattle ranch out there on the I five in California. Who Nellie? That thing seems to go on forever, and you have to like hit the button on your car so that it it circulates the air that's already inside your car. Because if you had if you were getting the air from the outside, you'd probably pass out from the overwhelming stench of that cattle ranch. <clears throat>
3: How does that smell? Terrible. And just you know, holler it out. Just if anything comes to you, just let me know.
1: You're not hearing me. It smells terrible. The fullness of the earth. There's like lots of stinky things in the earth. Rotting carcasses and you know.
3: how about touching? What if we could just reach out and just touch the fullness of God's earth?:
1: This is nonsensical. What does it mean to touch the fullness of God's earth? <laughs> so she's got everybody with their eyes closed, imagining what it'd be like to touch the fullness of God's earth? Yeah,
3: I don't know what you're
1: talking about.
3: How would it feel? Like a sponge? I don't know. I was thinking of it yesterday, and to me it felt like velvet.
1: Really? (laughs) Okay.
3: Just a velvet uh, feeling to touch. And what if we can taste the fullness of God's earth?
1: Well, you, you you are familiar with the idea that the majority of the planet is, well, oceans. So I'm pretty sure that if we tasted the fullness of God's earth, it would pretty much taste like salt water.
3: Need to understand how to create supernatural health we need to understand how to partner with god not work against god but how to partner with god and we need to know his heart
1: uh-huh and how would i learn that the bible i'm hoping right
3: his heart and what that's like to live in the fullness of his health okay 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 next slide please and so the next slide is what is what can somebody just holler out what is the first thing what's the first thing we can do to enjoy his fullness of his of life what's the first thing uh, yes yes why did i put that in there i've had a privilege of living all over the world and lived over in europe for 5 years and have traveled all over the world and you know what's so interesting people in other countries say to me terry why is it that women in America are never satisfied? And I was kind of insulted at that. I go, what do you mean? You know, And they're like, well, I don't know. Your women just seem to always want more. They always want more stuff. And I'm like, I never noticed that. But people from other...
1: yeah, Have you ever watched a, you know, the Kardashian program? You know, that might solve your dilemma here.
3: Countries notice that. And so having a satisfied heart is actually, it actually affects our health. And secondly, have,
1: uh-huh. yeah, in a Bible verse for this, please.
3: And a grateful heart affects our health. Have you ever noticed somebody that's always complaining and they're not grateful? And the next thing you know, they're talking about their ailments. You ever notice that?
1: <laughs> yeah. I just, just remember one of my relatives talking about his goiter, but,
3: and the next thing is to have a joyful spirit because when our spirit is joyful, then how can we be sick? Okay, and then finally,
4: (laughs) are you familiar
1: with bacterium and viruses? Just saying, because um, one of the things I've noticed is that, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm feeling great or joyful or whatever, um, if I come in contact with a virus or a bacterium. I'm going to get sick regardless of whether or not I'm joyful or grateful or any of those other things.
3: To just literally walk in in kingdom health. It is absolutely his will for us to be walking in kingdom health. And
1: Yeah, and yet you never showed that to us from the Bible.
3: You know what? I see so many really healthy-looking people here, but you'd be surprised at a lot of the places that we speak at around the country how much illness there really is around America. It is.
1: It's not just in America. It's like all over the world. It's wherever human beings be. And the reason for that is because the whole creation is languishing under a curse because of our sinful rebellion against God.
3: You familiar with these categories? Shocking. Shocking.
1: Yeah, again, if you read your Bible, this should not be news to you.
3: Next slide. Um we just want to go into of course we all know this it's it's 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20 and it's just honoring our bodies how god just delights he delights in us when we honor our body as the temple and when we honor our body as the
1: wait 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 a second here she just quote she's it was up there on a slide 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 hang on a second first corinthians chapter 6 and let's just add some context to this because i seem to remember that this particular passage is not talking about well spiritual health um yeah first corinthians chapter 6 now she quoted um um 19 and 20 right here's what 19 and 20 says are you ready do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within whom you have uh whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. <laughs> now I just this is a little awkward here, but first Corinthians chapter six, when we add the context, you're gonna find out this ain't about supernatural health at all. Um yeah. Um. In fact, um, let's just put it this way. It's about sexual sin. Let's just add the context. <clears throat> Verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, uh, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God, has, uh, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute never or do you not know that he who uh, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as it is written the two will become one flesh but he who is joined to the lord becomes one spirit with him therefore flee sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside of the body But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within whom you have from God? You are not your own; you were bought with a price. So it's kind of odd that you know this is a lecture about supernatural health, and there she is quoting First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty, and just kind of avoiding all of that thorny talk about prostitutes and sexual immorality. But that sets the context for this, and keep this in mind. I don't know if you all have noticed this, but well, Paul's dead. Yeah, it's true. He's been dead for almost two thousand years. So it's um, <laughs> <is> like <clears throat> I, he apparently he didn't experience uh, supernatural health. Poor Paul. <sighs> anyway, you get what's going on here, right? Don't you? It's this whole thing about basically putting your experience above God's word. And letting it dictate what it is that you believe. And when you do such a thing, you make all these assertions about God that actually they cannot be found in God's Word when you read it in context. As a result of it, uh, you become somebody who's a false teacher or a false prophet. Something to keep in mind. Okay. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian, Or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at PirateChristian. We will be right back.
2: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you are in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: presents Church Day Select. To the Wallace Tapley Show I'm your host, Wallace Tapley And my official title is the only Mostly accurate prophet of the end times Uh, some of my competitors Call me the second in two tens weasel Of the apocalypse, but I do my best To ignore their comments of hate And derision I-, I do have an update this week uh, yes, uh, my direct revelations From God this week have told me something Very, very special It should be coming in right about Now This is a goodie. It reads, This blessing is for a certain person who's currently living in Italy and is the owner of a bistro. It says that you'll be receiving one million euros. Uh, Make that five hundred thousand. Ten thousand. Five. Oh, um, yes. You're receiving five euros today. Heaven be praised. Oh, it seems that I'm getting another download. I do believe that it's the result of next year's Super Bowl. Uh, This could turn out to be very profitable indeed. It says the winner of the next year's Super Bowl will be the Chicago Cubs. No, wait, that's not right. I I mean the LA Lakers. No, that's not right either. I I, I do apologize, folks. My computer suffers from Plato's tenfold error syndrome from time to time. Oh, here we go. It says handshake (laughs) error. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. See you next time on the Wallace Stapley Show. Goodbye!
0: Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I would invite you to visit our website worldviewweekend.com and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net situationroom.net You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com
1: Do you find it hard to shop for the geek in your life? Well, if so, we have got a fantastic new featured advertiser for you to visit. It's Think Geek. This is a well-thought-out and hilarious gift store. And what you need to do is visit our website first, piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek, and then click on the ad banner, and then a portion of your purchase will actually go to support Pirate Christian Radio. Trust me, these gifts are hilarious. From wacky office gifts to Star Trek paraphernalia to Star Wars stuff, anything that would really kind of light up the life of the geek in your life, trust me, you'll love it. They're smart funny and the geek in your life will really enjoy them again pirate christian radio.com forward slash geek all right we're back Beware of people claiming to be prophets and having direct revelation from God. Yeah, there's a 99.99% chance they're not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. Have you considered supporting us? Have you considered giving the gift of Fighting for the Faith? If not, then we truly can use your help. And uh, and you supporting us financially not only makes it so that we can keep bringing the program so that you can enjoy it and grow and learn from it, but so that others can as well. And so the way you can support us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith send it to post office box 508 508- Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Don't forget our bake sale. If you haven't already picked up your Pirate Christian Radio Christmas bulb, visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash bake sale, and you can get your uh, Christmas bulb or what, uh, or even we still have a few left of the uh, bracelets that my mother made and also a few T-shirts left over from the summer bake sale. So, again, PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash bake sale. And just a reminder that... Everybody who has financially supported Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio during the months of November and December will get a link to our soon-to-be-released uh, EPUB at, you know uh, digital book uh, featuring Christmas sermons from uh, the, the reformer Martin Luther. They're fantastic, and we're excited to share that with you. So keep your eye on, your, on the email. I'll let you know when the book is finished and, uh, and when you should expect that link. All right, moving along. Okay, this is a roundup that we're going to be doing of news stories regarding the IHOP cult murder. At least that's how it's going to be um, pitched. Okay, so we're going to start off, we're going to go back in time a little bit uh, to early on in the, uh, in the story. And uh, this is from TheExaminer.com. TheExaminer.com, a story written by Sharice Van Horn entitled, I hop under scrutiny for cult link after Bethany Deaton alleged rape and murder. Okay. This is just kind of set the stage. So this was early in the reporting. So you kind of understand what's going on. On November 17th, 2012, the Kansas City Star provided an update on what Jackson County, Missouri authorities have described as a cult murder. Numerous questions surround the death of Bethany Deaton, 27, including a link between the cult group she was involved uh, with and Kansas City's International House of Prayer, operated by Mike Bickle. According to Jackson County police reports, Deaton was found dead on October 30, 2012, in the back seat of a Ford Windstar van with a bag over her head. Next to her body were several bottles and of pills and a note. At first, authorities believed deaton's death was suicide. The case was classified. As a homicide, after Micah Moore, 23, one of Deaton's roommates and fellow cult member, turned himself into Grandview Police Department and gave a bizarre confession, now investigators are trying to piece together the cult activities by the group that led led by Deaton's husband, Tyler Deaton, who's 26, as well as their associates with the International House of Prayer. The note found alongside Beth- Bethany Deaton's deceased body reads as follows. My name is Bethany Deaton. I chose this evil thing. I did it because I wouldn't be a real person. And what is the point of living if it is if it is too late for that? I wish I had chosen differently a long time ago. I knew it all and refused to listen. Maybe Jesus will save me. The suicide note is disjointed and is almost cryptic in its wording. It might not make sense if it weren't for Moore's confession, indicating that it was faked. According to Moore, who has not been charged with any sexual crimes but faces first-degree murder charges, Moore murdered Deaton while acting upon her husband's orders. The Kansas City Star reported according to court documents, Moore said that he and other members of the group had engaged in a series of sexual assaults on Bethany Deaton at a house in Grandview where several of the group lived. He later told uh, detectives that Tyler Deaton told him to kill Bethany, saying he knew Micah had it in him to do it, according to court documents. Tyler Deaton and other cult members who lived in the home are currently under investigation. It is unclear whether charges stemming from the sexual assault allegations will be filed. Court documents also quote Morris telling authorities that Bethany Deaton was seeing a counselor or therapist and the men feared that she would reveal the sexual abuse. He also indicated that there was video evidence depicting the sexual abuse and that Bethany Deaton had wrote about her experience Through poetry, the International House of Prayer, IHOP, is understandably distancing itself as far as possible from Tyler Deaton and other cult members associated with the case. On November 16, 2012 and November 17, 2012, the Kansas City Star published two in-depth articles detailing the associations Tyler Deaton had with IHOP as well as Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. The Star compiled an in-depth look at Deaton and his Uh, Start As a cult leader, according to the report, Deaton and his cult members attended IHOP, graduated from the school's university. There is controversy growing surrounding IHOP's involvement with Deaton as the star reports that Deaton's name remained on a handout and website uh, listing of friendship groups orchestrated through IHOP. Deaton served as a, quote, division coordinator, the star reports, and his name remained on the list until November 4th, 2012, five days following Bethany Deaton's murder. The star reported it was the day of the second funeral when Moore went to the Grandview Police Department. At some point, court documents are unclear on the timing. He confessed many details to Shelley Hundley, a reverend and member of the executive team at IHOP. Investigators with the Jackson County Sheriff's Office began questioning other people who lived in the house. Bethany whose body had been found the night before Halloween in the back of her van beside Longview Lake with a bag over her head and a suicide note left on the console was no longer considered a victim of suicide. Her body was returned to Kansas City. Friends and family already reeling from the false news that Bethany had killed herself now had to fathom so much more. Bethany was sexually assaulted over a period of months while drugged with someone else's prescription antipsychotics. Uh, Witnesses in the House told authorities this was what this was Happening, the witnesses alleged in a period of time that male members of the house were involved in sexual relations with Deaton. One saying it was part of a religious experience. <clears throat> I bet the Star uh, report clearly lay, laid out motive for the murder. Friends close to the situation say the Deatons married in August of 2012. According to court documents, Shelley Hunley has been listed as a witness in the case ihop issued a full statement according to uh, uh, regarding their view of deaton 's association with the church and denied that he had been a division coordinator and referred to the listing as a mistake. See this is where it gets interesting okay now i 'm going to pause there for a second and you know and play for you just a little bit um, of what 's going on in this story and uh just you know this is one of the news reports. That came out from ABC News out there in Kansas City early on, and and it'll be important for me to play this as well as uh, bring you up to speed that the attorney for the alleged killer is now claiming that um, he that the confession was faked and made up, and that um, this gal had Bethany Deaton had committed suicide, but since this has come out. The the police have actually stated that it, her, her death is officially not a suicide, but a homicide. But let's uh, kind of bring you up to speed with this story regarding it. Here's Bethany
6: Deaton was a newlywed and a nurse, but above all, her obituary says she was a Christian.
7: I think they just told us, you know, what was going on and uh, that... That we should keep praying.
6: Gabriel Hernandez attends the same Kansas City churches, Deaton, and says her alleged killer also went to the International House of Prayer and IHOP University in Grandview. But according to police, those two and several other men were part of their own religious community, separate from that church. Deaton's husband Tyler was the leader.
7: They were going to IHOP, but they, they, were, they were doing their own thing, and uh, you know, I don't know what happened or why it led to this, but. Yeah, it did.
6: We met Hernandez outside of Micah Moore's apartment, a property owned by IHOP.
5: here I've seen him a few times walking up and down the street, and another friend of mine has
1: talked to him. Okay, pause there for a second. Micah Moore's apartment is owned by IHOP. Got it? i him down there at that coffee shop before, and
5: nobody, from what I understand, thought he was capable of anything like that.
6: Moore confessed to the murder Friday and revealed how he and several other men who were living with Deaton and her husband in Grandview had been sexually assaulting her for months, but grew concerned Deaton would tell her therapist about what was happening. That's when someone in the group instructed Moore to kill her. We freaked out over here. We are scared. Neighbors say people were always coming and going from the Deaton's home, mostly
3: for Bible study. All just weird. Like it's okay that you have your own beliefs and stuff like that, but when you take it to murdering somebody, that's just taking it too far. Like,
1: all right, that's the uh, the first crack at this. Now, what's interesting is is that later, in fact, on uh, November 28th, the Associated Press put out a story basically saying that Micah Moore. Made up the story. Let me read a little bit. This is from the Associated Press. Bill Draper uh, writing. He says, A Kansas City man who told police he killed the wife of his prayer group leader at her husband's request made up the story and had nothing to do with the woman's suicide. His defense attorney said, Wednesday, Micah Moore, 23, has been charged with murder in in the October 30th death of Bethany Deaton, 27, in his confession. uh, Detailed in a probable cause statement, Moore told police that he and other members of the prayer group had sexually assaulted Deaton and were afraid to tell someone. Moore said that when deaton 's husband Tyler ordered him to kill her. The statement said moore 's lawyer um, Melanie Morgan recanted confession on, recanted the confession on Wednesday, saying it was bizarre, nonsensical, and mostly most importantly, it was untrue. These were the statements of a distraught and confused young man under extreme psychological pressures as a result of his friend bethany 's untimely suicide. And the sudden removal of his spiritual leader, Tyler Deaton, from their extremely close-knit religious community, Morgan said in a statement she read outside court after Moore's preliminary hearing was delayed. So so the story initially came out, and, and then Micah Moore confessed, and now his defense attorney is saying that, yeah, no, 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 that was all made up. But then the police have ruled that it's her death is not a suicide. In fact, here's a story from one of the local news affiliates in Kansas City bringing us up to speed on a little bit more of these details. Here we go.
8: More than a week ago, police ruled the death of a Grandview woman wasn't suicide, but rather murder. Court records describe 27-year-old Bethany Deaton as being in the middle of a truly strange case that included a secretive religion, sexual assault, and eventually murder. We sent kctv 5 Sandra Olivas to Texas to learn more about the people at the center of this unusual story. That's where Bethany, her husband Tyler, and murder suspect Micah Moore met before coming to Kansas No
9: one came to the door at this rural home in Robstown, Texas where Tyler Deaton spent his teenage years. A stone on the doorstep says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A longtime neighbor who wanted us to protect his identity told us that Tyler was raised in a loving Christian family. He attended Cow Allen High School in Corpus Christi, where he played in the marching band and was in the top 10 of his class.
2: He was a bright young man. He was your typical... um, Teenager, Um, He had lots of friends. He had good grades. Uh, He was very smart. I think at one time they were looking at him being an ophthalmologist.
9: After graduating from high school here in Corpus Christi, Tyler traveled four hours north up to Georgetown, Texas. This is where he came to attend the private Methodist College Southwestern University. And friends say this may be where his desire to become a spiritual leader was sparked.
2: He was just excited about it. He wanted to go and be part of something where uh, worshiping and serving God was real, and it meant something
9: met Bethany here on campus where Tyler led a prayer group at Southwestern. She graduated with honors, earning degrees in English and Spanish. He studied political science and worked in the music program of a local church. Nothing seemed unusual about the couple. So Southwestern students were stunned. Their alumni, Tyler Deaton, his friend Micah Moore, and other male roommates who traveled to Kansas City upon graduation to become members of IHOP are now caught up in a bizarre criminal and Investigation involving Bethany's murder.
0: It was definitely weird when the the details started coming out, different articles I was reading. It was definitely really strange.
9: Why did you come forward? 23-year-old Moore told police that Tyler was their spiritual leader, and he ordered him to kill his wife, Bethany, because the men in the home they shared in Grandview were drugging and sexually assaulting her. Court documents say they were afraid she was going to tell a therapist what was happening behind closed doors. Having other men sexually assault his wife, drugging her, all of that seems unbelievable to you.
2: Beyond my comprehension. Yes. Not in his character at all. No, nothing I've ever seen to indicate that.
9: We learned the reason Tyler's parents haven't been home in Corpus Christi for several days is because they are trying to deal with the disturbing allegations aimed at their son. City, I was looking for William.
8: He's not it.
9: Um, He's actually in Kansas City. Is he really? Mm-hmm and he's there with his son, Workers at the State Farm Insurance Office run by Tyler's dad told us that Tyler's parents are in Kansas City as police investigate what role their son played in the death of his new bride. Just four months ago, Tyler and Bethany looked happy sharing their special day with family and friends. Now, those who knew Tyler are left with many unanswered questions that simply don't add up to the young man who was so devoted to serving the Lord.
2: Just from what conversations I had with him, his sincerity uh, to God, I think he has a very basic um, uh, Christian doctrine that he goes by. And he has moral standards and stuff that would just be totally opposite from everything that I've heard.
8: Sandra Levis reporting. Tyler's Texas neighbors told Sandra Deaton bragged about being very involved with the International House of Prayer. He told friends and family he was training IHOP members for overseas missionary work. But IHOP leaders have distanced themselves from Deaton and his group.
1: Yes, they have. They've definitely tried to distance themselves. Obviously, this is a group within the group. But the thing is, is that it was still within the group. Yes, Deaton was um, obviously um, his own little cult leader uh, there, but he was still within the bigger group. And even though um, IHOP is trying to distance themselves, it's clear that there's two sides here and the two sides are not meeting up, which means that um, somebody ain't telling the truth. There's some implausibility going on here. Okay, one last um, news report. And again, I apologize that this is kind of a sad and sick topic, but let's let's listen to this last news report because there's a piece of this I want to tease out and and focus on for just a second. But here's the last news report that we'll cover tonight.
7: Tonight about Tyler Deaton from the International House of Prayer University. His wife, Bethany, is the nurse who...
1: Notice that the this particular... Um, Action News team there, Channel 41 out there in Kansas City, um, has Tyler Deaton caught up in IHOP University. They wouldn't have gone to, uh, they would not have gone live with that and made that connection if there wasn't a connection.
7: But we continue. Police first thought committed suicide last week. Man told police he did it and that Deaton's husband told him to. Tyler Deaton was involved with the International House of Prayer, and we've learned that IHOP leaders knew Deaton was heading up a separate group where religious experiences included communal sex. Today, the IHOP University... released. Really- Did you catch that? The Action 41
1: news team is saying that the folks at IHOP University knew of some of the things that were going on, and you know, the religious experience of communal sex... <clears throat>
7: this statement it reads quote knowing what we know now we deeply regret our failure to discern the nature of deaton's alleged practices we further regret his admission to IHOPU 4 years ago and all connection he had with our organization the full statement is two pages long you can read it on our website kshb.com
1: all right all of that said obviously there's something really going wrong here i would point you to a website that i think is worth your time to read The name of it is called Gospel Masquerade. You need to Google it, though, because uh, there's a couple of different websites for it. But on Wednesday, February 18th, 2009, at the Gospel Masquerade website, which was put together by a former staff member at IHOP, okay? The headline reads, Why I Believe IHOP Is a Cult. There's something seriously, seriously screwy going on over at IHOP, and um, I think this is going to be an interesting case to watch as it burbles up. But let me r- remind you what <clears throat> the uh, this former staff member of IHOP wrote. Here's what uh, the code name Ariel wrote. She writes, Why I believe IHOP is a cult. A cult? Strong word, you might say, and you are correct. It is not a word I use lightly or carelessly to label anything, but much prayer, time, and years of research... And personal experience have brought me to the conclusion that I can say confidently that the root system or foundation that IHOP is built on follows the basic premises and signs of a cult, uh, a, a cult religious group. When I left IHOP, I went through a severe culture shock that is hard to put into words. When I began setting the signs of cult fallout and the things that cult members go through after leaving a cult, my eyes began to open to what I had been a part of and recently come out of. Below, I have listed some common signs of cult operation. Below them, I cite in red, texts, a short example of my personal experience at IHOP, which illustrate these particular signs in action. After five years of being out of IHOP, I still hold to my position that it is a dangerous place for people's hearts and have seen much destruction of families, relationships, and marriages of those who have been involved with this movement. I appreciate your taking the time to read and prayerfully consider the research and personal testimony that I've included below. Number one, a destructive cult tends to be totalitarian in its control of its members' behavior. Cults are likely to dictate uh, in great detail not only what members believe, but also what members wear and eat and when and where members work, sleep and bathe and how members think, speak and conduct familial marital or sexual relations as an intern at ihop our day-to-day lives were closely monitored and dictated i was not allowed to go anywhere or leave ihop premises without express verbal permission from a community leader except on our own on our one day off our schedules started early in the morning With hours in the prayer room, then classes, then back to the prayer room, our nights often ran late with required attendance at EGS, that's Encounter God Services, or any other special event Mike spoke at that we were required to attend. Sometimes we had to attend worship sets that ended at 10 p.m. or midnight. Sleep was minimal and was often unrestful when I did get it. Sleep deprivation is a commonly used tactic in many cult groups to weaken the mind and make a person more susceptible to the embracing of doctrines taught by that cult. There are many biological and psychological effects of sleep depri- deprivation on the mind. Now, <clears throat> I want to point something out here. This being the case, and I have personally communicated with Several people who have left IHOP, and this is consistent, is that you know those people who, especially who are interns there or who are involved in leadership, I mean their days are packed. They are packed. There's no freedom, and it's just packed. You know, from before the sun comes up to long after the sun goes down. You get very little sleep, and it's like being in a fog and a haze. And the amount of control that is um, used at IHOP over the people who are interns and staff members and leaders there makes it impossible for them to not know what's going on with somebody like a Deaton. Do you get what I'm saying here? Number two, a destructive cult tends to have an ethical double standard. Members are urged to be obedient to the cult, to carefully follow cult rules. They are also encouraged to be uh, revealing and open in the group, (laughs) confessing all to the leaders. On the other hand, outside the group, they are encouraged to act unethically, manipulating outsiders or non-members and either deceiving them or simply revealing very little about themselves or the group. In contrast to the destructive cults, honorable groups teach members to abide by one set of ethics And then act ethically and truthfully to all people in all situations. Now here's the IHOP piece. Anyone who rebelled against IHOP's rules went through a strict disciplinary process. At its most minimal level of discipline for an intern, this meant the loss of having a day off and having to do manual labor. Everyone was kept on a short leash. We also had weekly groups as interns that we were required to participate in where everyone was interrogated and pressured to open up and share their personal struggles, etc., and answer personal questions about their lives, struggles, thoughts, fears, walks with God. It often felt like going to some kind of confession, as in Catholicism, and some interns out and out refused to be so vulnerable and disclosing in front of the people they did not know. We were all given journals and told that we had to, mandatory writing assignments to complete. We were to record details of our IHOP prayer room times, things God spoke to us, dreams, visions, or what else that happened to us in spirit in, in us spiritually, and then what um, and then had to turn in our journals weekly to have an internship leader review and then read them. In the last month or so, I was at IHOP. I paid particularly close attention to the fact that. Internship leaders ironically prayed things over me in prayer times or at the altar in the prayer room that had that related directly to the things I had put into my journals. So, what often might have seemed prophetic was the result of the information about me that they had already had access to. Number three, a destructive cult has only two basic purposes recruiting new members and fundraising. Altruistic movements, established religions, and other honorable groups also recruit and raise funds. However, these actions are incidental to an honorable group's main purpose of improving the lives of its members and of humankind in general. Destructive cults may claim to make social contributions, but in actuality such claims are superficial and only serve as gestures or fronts for recruiting and fundraising. A cult's real goal is to increase the prestige and often the wealth of the leader. Here's the eye-hot piece of it. They were always there were always an underlying Pressure to bring people to IHOP. We were encouraged to invite others and get them to join what we were doing. IHOP campaigns big time to recruit new interns. At every conference, advertising and marketing videos are used to this day to promote the internships. They are played on large TV screens like presidential campaigns and are just part of the propaganda used to sell young people on this new version of what walking with God is supposed to look like. Each intern paid $4,500 to attend a six-month internship. This covered some books, teaching material uh, we were given, as well as food lodging, etc. Check this out, though. Every intern lived in the uh, Hernhut Apartments located next door, which IHOP owned anyway, so the only expense was utilities and general upkeep. There was no rent. Plus... When there was a mandatory fasting day, weekend or week, etc., no meals were served, so those who didn't choose to fast had to go out and buy food, and no interns were allowed to have jobs, so this got to be a big expense since there wasn't extra money to live on. I lived in a two-bedroom apartment. It housed six girls from, from the ages of 20 to 23. Four of us shared one room, and two shared another. The prayer room costs nothing to attend, and it's free and open to the public, so, hmm... $4,500 $4,500 for meals, my electric bill, and some IHOP books. I currently live in my own apartment, pay all of my own bills, including rent, food, gasoline, renter's insurance, credit card bills, student loans, <clears throat> electric cell phone, etc., and all of that cost me approximately $1,500 a month. So basic math says that someone was getting a big paycheck because my expenses would have never cost that in an internship program where we were given so little. Another important note here regarding the Deaton case. They lived in IHOP housing. That should tell you something. Number four, a destructive cult appears to be innovative and exclusive. The leader claims to be breaking with tradition, offering something novel, and instituting the only viable system for change that will solve life's problems or the world's ills. But these claims are empty and only used to recruit members who are then surreptitiously subjected to mind control to inhibit their ability to examine the actual validity of the claims of the leader and the cult. Here's the IHOP piece. In the time I was there, Mike often used the them and us types of statements when referring to the church or those outside of IHOP. We were given a sense of being on the cutting edge because we were ahead of the church and were doing something new and innovative. That was going to sweep the world. It all sounded good, so everyone wanted to be a part of it and in on it as a forerunner and liked the label of being on the front lines, so no one dared question it. Number five. A destructive cult is authoritarian in its power structures. The leader is regarded as the supreme authority. He or she may delegate certain power to a few subordinates for the purpose of seeing that members adhere to the leader's wishes. There is no appeal outside his or her system to a greater system of justice. For example, if a school teacher feels unjustly treated by a principal, an appeal can be made to the superintendent. In a destructive cult, the leader claims to have the only and final ruling on all matters. Here's the IHOP piece. Our family became friends with a Jewish couple who were in Kansas City for a conference. They were part of the Ethiopian Jewish congregation in Israel and were missionaries in the United States. They had some grave concerns and red flags regarding IHOP's theology, the model that is used, the and everything IHOP-related, etc., That they attempted to meet with Mike and discuss, and after being brushed off by Mike multiple times in his refusal to meet with him, even though they were Jewish leaders from Israel and Mike knew of them, he finally told these friends of ours that this is how we do things here. This is just how IHOP is. It's not for everyone. If there was something you didn't like or didn't agree with, you were basically told IHOP wasn't for everyone, so if you couldn't handle it, maybe you shouldn't be here. There was no actual accountability for anything deemed wrong or unbiblical. We were told that IHOP has its own culture, and you must assimilate into that culture and language to really understand it. If you had a problem with something, you were told that you just had not been around long enough to understand how they did things, or that you just weren't a good fit there, these were the answers I was given when I met with internship leaders right before leaving. There was never actual admittance of wrongdoing or hurting anyone who was caught in the crossfire. Number 6. A destructive cults leader is a self-appointed messianic person claiming to have a special mission in life. For example, leaders of flying saucer cults claim that beings from outer space have commissioned them to lead people away from Earth so that only the leaders can save them from impending doom. IHOP piece now. Every intern was required to listen to the 12 hours of IHOP's recorded history on CD footage. Much of this content was heavily edited before its publication. These tapes told of of prophetic words and signs that were given to some of Mike's mentors, Bob Jones, Paul Kane, etc., who were all naming him as the leader of the next big thing that God was going to do. Over and over again, I've heard it said, both directly by Mike as well as from others, that he, Mike, would be the leader of a movement that changed the nature and expression of Christianity in the earth. Every time, all recognition points to Mike, his mission... To transform the church and capture the hearts of America's youth has been declared has been his declared goal, goal since the 1980s. One of the major dangers is that these grandiose-sounding claims and prophetic words are laden with flattery, <clears throat> narcissism, elitism, and are a perfect guise under which anything Mike introduces through IHOP can fall under the heading of being a new thing that God is doing. This elitist teaching put Mike on a pedestal, and he had a messianic-like devoted following of people who would do anything if he told them to, without a moment of questioning or hesitation. From my observations and experiences on staff, IHOP members do not think of themselves or question think for themselves or question Mike's interpretation of Scripture or the slant or or the slant in the way he teaches. At any conference, one will easily observe that if Mike recommends a book or promotes a teaching, a t-shirt or a speaker, at the next break, all of that in-item in will be sold out in their bookstore. When I was on staff, I heard people continually sing Mike's praises around the clock and quote, "...more of what Mike says or thinks or teaches than actual scripture." Mike has an alluring charisma, and many seem to be instantly drawn to his convincing appearance of direction and purpose. He teaches with passion and emotion rather than truth, and it's that charisma that draws and hooks people, causing many to blindly follow and defend his message. I believe that IHOP, that the IHOP lifestyle, by and large, sets people up for disillusionment through the false hope that its deception provides it's a pseudo manufactured reality where people are told you can live in nirvana and enjoy the high of being in god's presence 24/7 and that can be all that you live for so people sell all that they have buy into a dream move across the country to be part of a ministry that makes captivity claims and then their world often oftentimes crumbles to ashes when things aren't as they seem once they arrive Mike's primary target and focus is on the young. He appeals from the pulpit, and his well-polished speeches aim at capturing the hearts of America's youth. Children and youth are not told or encouraged to respect or honor their parents God gave them. Instead, wedges are driven between families, and a seed of pride, rebellion, and elitism gets planted into the hearts of the youth when they are told things like the following. Okay, This is a very close paraphrase of what I've heard many, uh, many, many times at one thing, IHOP conferences and in uh, teachings by leaders. Here we go. Are you ready? You are called to be on the cutting edge. Come here and join a community of other people who are like you, called to what you're called to. We understand you. You've been misunderstood in the church. You've had your wings clipped by and your gifts misunderstood. Here you can fulfill... Your forerunner calling that your family just hasn't understood about you. You might feel like you don't fit back home. You're on the outside. No one understands the fire in you. Well, we get it. You are the leaders that God is raising up in these times, and you will be kings and queens on the earth, reigning with him. You were made for this place. IHOP is an incubator for people like you." "...narcissistic speeches like this instill a sense of pride, arrogance, and elitism in the hearts of the youth who hear it, and it feeds their need for validation and identity. They run to IHOP, leave their families, join internships, hoping that what they've heard is true. They go to IHOP looking for identity instead of finding their identity in Jesus." Once outside of the IHOP environment, they are terrified and overwhelmed by the real world and don't know how to function in it when they've been in an intensive internship environment. There is a degree of uh, re-acclimating to normal life that feels like an IHOP detox afterwards. It's a severe emotional drop because the hyped-up services and conferences that were your manna are now gone, and when there is no prayer room, your life uh, in God feels empty and lifeless. Many simply don't know how to engage with God in a real day-to-day basis once they've left. I experienced this and heard the exact same thing from a handful of my friends after they left IHOP and the internship. At that point, when the disillusionment sets in, I know many interns that walked away from God completely upon leaving the internship and went back into lifestyles worse than the ones they left when they came to IHOP originally. Okay. I, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna read the the final two statements, but I think that kind of makes the point. What we're dealing with over at IHOP and th- this murder, I'm hoping, will help open up the can of worms so that the world can see IHOP for what it is. Because many of the claims being made by IHOP as they're trying to distance themselves uh, from the <clears throat> from the murderer and the, this this rogue group, so to speak. Um, many of those claims regarding it being a rogue group when you understand just the amount of control that is exerted by ihop and the people who are part of that movement and you understand the fact that the deetons lived on well ihop property in one of ihop's um apartments it's pretty clear that um something is they're they're trying to distance themselves from the deetons i, I don't i don't think that's plausible i it's just it mm, yeah, I'm sorry, but the the butter just doesn't spread that thin, if you know what I mean. Anyway, I thought I'd bring you up to speed, so that's our <clears throat> roundup of the news regarding the IHOP murder so far. But if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. We. We'll be right back. Sermon review on the other side of this break. Stay tuned.
2: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some...
4: <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
1: The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen... Despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash... Cheap, And you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the cheapo airs already low prices. Write down the promo code, then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website. Very easy to use, very inexpensive. You save an additional $15. And by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. So again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code code click on the ad banner and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs okay we're back well into hour number two sermon review time I'm going back to joplin missouri Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's Masloration comes to us via Ignite Church in Joplin, Missouri. Heath Mooneyhan presiding. The name of said masleration is entitled The Death of a Movement. The Death of a Movement. And as you listen to this, pay close attention to how much he talks about his own life, comes up with his own ideas, and then when he does handle Scripture, it's like he's not handling Scripture. Yeah, it's really a mess. Which, basically, to tell you this, he's not qualified to be a pastor, biblically, by the standards set down in Scripture. A pastor, by the way, is one who has studied and shown himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who rightly handles God's word, and can teach only that which is in accord with sound doctrine, so that he may be able to teach that and rebuke and refute those who contradict it. You get what I'm saying. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Death of a Movement, Heath Mooneyhan, Ignite Church, Joplin, Missouri. Here we go. Yeah, that music's part of the opening of the sermon. Sorry.
5: series, because I do feel like it's so relevant to us, is I want to talk about the death of a movement. Uh, what could cause a, a mighty move of God to die off? Because we see them go in in cycles, and some of them last for a really long time. And then, you know, other than the church itself, Christianity, they've all kind of died off. And so I would just say that... Um, it would serve us well if we studied what would cause uh, a death of a movement. And so we're going to look back at...
1: All right, let's ask the obvious question. Where in the Bible am I supposed to go to to find the doctrine that tells us what causes the death of a movement? Yeah, I can't think of anything offhand. So whatever he's going to come up with is, I'm sure, going to be fanciful. Here we go.
5: Joshua's journey, because I think there's a whole lot of people in here... That really have this desire to impart maybe spiritual life into the next generation. Uh, we are a unique gathering of people, uh, just in the church world, um, because we—no offense to anybody that's outside of this—but we are generally basically young. Um, so I mean, we we're mainly made up of. Of teenagers, twenty-year-olds, and thirty-year-olds, and that does not mean that if you're—that's
1: not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all.
5: Forty or over, that you're old. Um, <laughs> I, we are—I'm rapidly approaching that myself, and so. Um, but we have this target here of eighteen to thirty-five-year-old people, specifically men, and uh, so we aim at that, and that's we—we we get a lot of that. And so there's some dangerous, uh, we're in a very peculiar spot and I wanna like tread carefully through this so that we fully understand uh, the implications that are at stake here in our lives. I think, uh, you know, Moses did show us one thing in the Bible was that he was a, um, he was a great man in the aspect he was a great leader, but he also raised up a great leader. And we're gonna see with the life of Joshua, that he had one massive flaw and that he did not raise up the next generation behind him. And we're going to see the severity of that in just a moment.
1: Hmm, that's a weird take on, that, on the story of Joshua because I never see in Scripture a single rebuke of Joshua nor of any mention that he failed to raise up leaders in the next generation. There isn't any passage that says that.
5: And we have to be very careful... And I think this is going to apply young and old alike, uh, uh, non-believers, veteran believers, new believers, whatever. I think we can all pull principles out of this, and God can say something to us today. And I think uh, it, would, it would be a great tragedy if we ignored what God was trying to say to us today. So we're going to start off in, in Judges chapter two verses seven through 10, and you can follow along either on the screens or on you version. It, starting in verse seven, it says, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him and those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Joshua lived a long, long life. They buried him in the land that he had been allocated at Time, whatever, I don't know where that's at. Actually, I do know where it's at. It's actually in the hill country of Ephraim, if, in case you were wondering. If you don't know where that's at, that's just north of Mount Gash. So, anyways, you know where was buried. Just a little north of Mount Gash. In verse 10, it says, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. Because Joshua had failed in this one area. One area. Um,
1: Joshua did not fail to raise up leaders, and this text doesn't say this at all. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Let's take a look at the context of this chapter. If you have your Bible, open up to Joshua chapter 24, and I'm going to add the context that uh, Heath here is omitting so that he can create the false impression that the reason why this movement stopped is because, well... Um Joshua failed to raise up leaders. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 24 verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges and the officers of Israel. Those sound like leaders to me, don't they sound like leaders to you? And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, "Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel: Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and and of Nahor, and they served other gods." Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob, and Jacob and Esau, and, uh, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt... son of Zippor the son the king of Moab arose and fought against Israel and he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor to curse you but I would not listen to Balaam indeed he blessed you so I delivered you out of his hand and you went over to uh, over the Jordan And came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you who dwell in them. And you eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it, is, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, fa- your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. That you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice. We will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all of the words of the Lord that he spoke. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance." After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Notice verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and then after Joshua died, served the Lord all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Huh? Doesn't sound... In fact, this whole chapter, but specifically chapter uh, verse 31 of chapter 24, completely refutes the claim that Heath Mooneyhan is trying to make here. That Joshua somehow failed to to make leaders, and therefore that's why the whole movement came to an end. That is absolute hogwash and malarkey and shows that Heath Mooneyhan doesn't know the first thing that he needs to know on how to properly handle God's Word so that he can teach it. Oh, we continue.
5: An entire generation did not intimately know the Lord or the, the great things that, that God was capable of doing and had done. Through uh, Joshua's generation, what a tragedy! I mean, we're just one generation removed in this story from them crossing over the Jordan River and the whole, you know, uh, march around the city seven times, took your little horns, you know, take the whole city, pillage everything. That story, yeah, that, that was awesome. What God was able to do. One generation behind that, nobody knew God. What a tragedy. And say, and a lot of people will sit back and say, oh, well, that stinks. That's horrible. Glad that'll never happen to us. I'd say, hold up. It can, and it will happen if you don't get intentional about the way that you finish your life, if you don't get intentional about the way that you present yourself and carry out your life. So today I'm gonna talk to you, and I know this is uh, maybe a, a strange topic, For some people, it used to be a strange topic to me, but I'm going to talk to you about spiritual families today. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is I want you to know that you can have or be a spiritual father. You can have or be a spiritual father. This always sounded strange to me because I remember uh, some guy that wanted to, told me that he wanted to be my spiritual father, and I was like a little freaked out by, and I avoided him like the plague, because um, it was just weird to me, I'm like, I've already got a dad, dude, and uh, I've done seen what you priest type do on the news, and so, uh, just kidding, kind of. And, and so it really kind of freaked me out, that terminology, spiritual father. So we're going to say today that you can, you can either be a spiritual father or you can have a spiritual father. And, and basically what that means is it doesn't have to be uh, your natural father. This is just somebody that will impart spiritual life into your life, You know, will we'll pass on things down to you. We see a great example of this in the Bible with uh, the Apostle Paul. And he was a spiritual father to a man named Timothy. And and uh, Paul even writes letters to people saying, hey, I can't be there with you, um, but I'm sending my, my son, Timothy. Well, was Timothy Paul's son? Absolutely not, but he was his spiritual son. It was the guy who was pouring everything that he knew about Jesus into his life. And Timothy did well to learn from Paul and then went on and carried out that legacy, even though you know it made Paul's reach, Jesus' reach through Paul, more effective that he was able to reach through Timothy. And so you see these examples of great spiritual father-son relationship in the lives of uh, Paul and Timothy. But it's just that that term spiritual father or spiritual son is not something that is too common in our language today. We just don't hear of it too often. I I don't know what's happened. Um, Just the whole concept of spiritual family freaks a lot of people out. I do love that about our church. I do love that about this church, and the, just the fact that uh, you know, I feel like this church is my family. You know, doing we often say instead of calling it a spiritual family, we'll just say we do life together, and uh, that's exactly what we're doing. We're becoming a, a spiritual family to each other, and, and we're helping carry each other's loads and, and getting people each other further down the road. So I, uh, I think that. So we're going to move on there. Spiritual father, this is for the men. That's so hard. So hard for men because that means a lot of things. Men, I believe, are the most prideful creatures on the planet. And to be able to open up to another man is a, a real hard thing for a lot of people to do. Uh, it's a big excuse for a lot of guys. They'll say that it's hard, but they just really don't want to be held accountable is a lot what a lot of them are saying. So the second thing is, you can, you can have or be a spiritual mother. You can have or be a spiritual mother. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. One of the major reasons, not the only reason, but one of the major reasons why a lot of marriages are falling apart is because women are failing to, tra- to train the younger women to be good mothers and good wives. This holds true for men, too. I'm just saying this is something that is.
1: <clears throat> now, this goes back to the point that I made earlier. You bragged about how your church is really just full of young people. And see, that's the problem. Because it's the older women who are to teach the younger women, the older men who are to teach to teach the older men. How is that supposed to happen in a church that's basically an adult youth group?
5: Severely lacking in our society. Um. It, lacks so much that, that my wife, man, she is really, really passionate about this area. She is really passionate about pouring into other women, especially younger women, and uh, teaching them the important things in life. You know, what it means to be a good wife. I, she does well teaching older women as to what it means to be a good wife because there's not a whole lot of, of women knows what it, that means to, to honor your husband. And, you know, I beat up on the guys all the time, but there's, you know, she's just as harsh on some of the women, I believe, a little harsher than I am. And, and so she's passionate and intentional about um, raising up young women to be good wives and to be good mothers, the important things in life, you know, because if we depend on society to raise our kids, which most of society does leans on the government or the system or whatever the schools and and to raise our kids, then they never truly learn the important things in life. I learned some things in school. I I can tell you what I've never really practically used though. I've never practically used in my entire life what I spent a a lot of time learning and that was long division. (laughs) Who in here, uses long division for any part of their life. Raising your hand. Are you weird? All right, we got two weirdos. All right, so, but the, re- no, I'm just kidding. I don't, can't even see you. I just saw hands going up. Uh, they probably are ready to take me out. And But listen, we'll, society will teach our kids things like long division, but they will never teach them uh, the important things in life. I always got so stinking mad at my teacher, too. Because they' would be like, hey, you do this problem in long division. I'm going be like, I can turn any long division you got into a short division. I've got a calculator. <laughs> they'd be like, what's the answer? And I'll give them the answer. And they'll say it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because you didn't show your work. How stupid is that? <laughs> Amen. Preach on, preacher. Anyway. That- You're not preaching. Rant on school, um, this thing is dumb. Uh, be cool, uh, like if you're in school, kids. I'm sorry, <laughs> like, uh, like listen to your parents. All right, so I just wasn't. I just, oh wow. Uh, see, these things would go a lot faster. I wouldn't spend half my time taking my foot out of my mouth. Uh, school's cool, kids. Um,
1: yeah, if you actually would actually open up your Bible and exegete a text in context, you wouldn't have that problem either.
5: All right, so, yeah, like we're talking about being a spiritual family or spiritual fathers or mothers and stuff like that, and it sounds all great and kind of lofty and philosophical and all this kind of stuff, but I want to stop for a second. I want to give you some practical steps to take whenever it comes to really, uh, this is all fancy talk for the word mentoring, uh, to mentor the next generation or to be mentored by the generation before us. Um, Here's I would give you some practical advice on this of, the first thing I would say to you is, I would define, whenever you're looking for something in mentoring, I would define what it is that you're looking for.
1: Which passage um, tells you this? Have we just this abandoned the whole concept of actually preaching God's Word?
5: Uh, so many people have a hard time defining what it is that they're looking for in life. you these great... Um, broad things like, oh, I need to change. I need to, to learn. The, a lot of them come up to me and like, I guess they think I'm like hyper spiritual or something. So they'll come up to me and say things like, oh, I, I want to know the ways of God. I'm like, oh, me too. Um, you know, it's like they'll get so broad and general and stuff like that. Literally, I'll have people come in, uh, get this a lot in the pastor world. A lot of younger pastors, which I think is great that's going out there planting churches. I'll have them call me up or they'll come and want to meet for lunch or whatever and go out and meet to lunch with them. And they'll say things like, I'll be like, all right, what do you want to know? They'll say things like everything. They'll say, I want to know what you know. I'm like, dude, we're just meeting for lunch. Like I can't move in with you for the next 20 years, you know? Um. Have, uh, I? if I had any advice for you guys, if because here's what you need to understand. If you're looking for somebody to mentor you or to pour into your life, you have got to go find them. They are not gonna come find you. You have to kick the door in and get permission and say, pour into my life. I'm coming to see you. And when you get there, define what it is that you're looking for. You better have your questions specifically written out. How in the world? What verses are you preaching from again? If if you get, because I tell people all the time, just get me a seat at the table. Here's the problem with most people. They'll get a seat at the table and then they'll never ask the questions. You can't, like like we learn from each other by osmosis or something. Like if I can just have dinner with this person, I'll be a better person. I'll learn so many things. You've got to ask specific questions. Here's what I've learned about this: is leadership principles at the very basic core. If you want to learn what other people know, you need to ask them the questions. They're not just going to offer up anything. There's only so much you can learn by. Lo- That's so profound. Yeah, looking at other people and watching them, you have got to ask them questions. So I would, I would tell you to, uh, if you're wanting help, ask for it. And be very specific what you're going to ask. See this a lot in the church. Week in and week out, and this is a wonderful thing. It's crazy what God's doing here. Week in and week out, there'll be people, there was four people in here a while ago that gave their lives, surrendered their lives to Christ and said, I need Jesus to save me. And um, then, you know, Pastor Shane will come up and say, all right, this is what's next. We have something for you out there. Half those people will never show up out there to the What's next?
1: Yet you won't have a problem saying that the X amount of people gave their lives to Jesus on any particular Sunday, yet you just admitted that half of them don't even come back?
5: Even, that's even us taking the step of saying, hey, we, we can tell you, we want to get involved in this journey, but here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to hold your hands for this thing. This whole Jesus thing, that's you. It's on you. Yeah, don't expect, you know, a pastor to shepherd
1: you, even though pastor means shepherd. Yeah, no, it's all on you, dude. You got to pick up, you got to do it.
5: We'll help you, but you have to want to be helped. And you do that by showing some initiative. Say, well, I'm shy. Well, stay shy. Stay timid. Stay defeated. Stay pressed down. Stay ignorant. A lot of people around here say, oh, well, we don't know how to get plugged in. Are you kidding me? We can plug you in faster than a light bulb. You know, so we'll put you, we'll plug you in, in a community group. Uh, that's what I love about this place. Like we don't have like uh, defined, we used to have all these rules of saying, we know exactly the path that, that God has for you. And so like, you're going to be part of this church. You're going to do this, this, and this. And one of the things you're going to do is get into a small group. There was a big problem that I had with small groups in the formality and the format that we had small groups in. Is that I was I
1: just wonder has he totally abandoned the idea of actually preaching the word? I, we're just freestyling it now.
5: In one, I'd go hang out at some others every once in a while, but I wasn't in one. I was in community with a lot of people. I was doing life. Me and my family was doing life with a lot of different people, but we wouldn't technically in a small group. And so we still have small groups. I think they're great. Um, we just don't demand them of people. I couldn't live up to that demand. So I just said, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Kind of, <laughs> partially true. And so we, we've kind of let off a little bit of saying, hey, we're not so demanding anymore. Jesus isn't demanding Jesus says his Holy Spirit's a, a gentleman. And he says his 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 yoke and his burdens light and easy. And we're we're churches these days are just so heavy and heavy-fisted and hard-hearted and like so demanding and controlling and stuff. Let me tell you something. If you want everything that Jesus has for your life, you have got to take initiative and you have got to press in. And this is just Like I said earlier, a basic leadership principle. Then you have to just apply to Jesus. This applies to everything in life. If you want what other people got, you need to bust your butt, get in there, kick in the door, get a seat at the table, ask the right questions. And here's some advice to uh, the Timothys in the group or the sons or daughters or the technical word for it's the mentees. You got mentors and you got mentees. So here's the ones to the Timothys. Uh, the first would be ask questions, listen, and then take notes. Ask questions, listen, and then take notes. That uh, take notes part. Yeah, where is that in the Bible again? I'm not familiar with that particular imperative. Take
1: notes. Hmm. There's
5: a big, huge gap and failure in this generation. Like, we don't take notes anymore. We're not a note-taking generation. We need to get back to being a note-taking generation. It's Well, when you give me something that's worth taking a note on, I'll be sure
1: to write it down. How's that?
5: It's weird how we do relationships with each other these days. Can I just tell you something like five years ago, there was a little bitty startup company that basically nobody had really ever heard of too much except for some weird college kids. It was called Facebook. Now this thing's so huge. Most people have got it on their phone sitting in this room, right? The story of Facebook will not be found in the Bible, just to let you know. Right now. And this is how you're doing life with each other. This is how you're practically getting involved. But I want you to understand what that's replaced. Real phone conversations. I'm just talking from my generation. We used to pick up the phone, kids, teenagers, I'm just gonna freak you out. If we wanted to say something to somebody, we'd pick up the phone and actually call them. And we would have a conversation. Or, or we would call them and say, let's meet somewhere to talk. Now, You have these entire relationships through Facebook, through texting. You don't even pick up the phone to call each other. You just write each other, kind of. It's not really writing, LOL. You know, it's (laughs) smiley face, winky face, whatever.
1: Kind of how this isn't really a sermon. It's just kind of like whatever's on the top of your head, right? Whatever.
5: The generation older than me? thought we was crazy. Oh my gosh, these people are picking up phones and calling each other. Like drive to their house. You want to see somebody, you drive to their house, go see them. Generation above that goes, oh my gosh, these people are driving to see each other. How stupid. We got to plow the fields, write them a letter. How many, like I can't remember the last time I sat down and wrote a letter to somebody. Licked something and threw it in a mailbox. Didn't sound right, did it? That's bizarre. Uh, here's what I love: what happened in in Acts chapter sixteen. Basically, Paul and Silas. Paul was always finding himself in jail, um, so never mind. Um, I was going to incriminate myself, and uh, so him and Silas are in jail, and then like this this earthquake, like Jesus shows up, pretty much. Uh, freaks the guards out, like their chains fall off of them, they're prisoners. Now they're not, they're free, they're going to walk out. And so the jailer uh, that was sitting there... Why don't
1: you read the text rather than summarizing it? Because your summary doesn't sound accurate.
5: Supposed to be watching him uh, come in, he was a little freaked out, and this is what happens in verse 29 30. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling. He was shaken before Paul and Silas... Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was asking questions. Here's what I want you to also notice, the principle that you can pull out of those two verses. So
1: there's a principle I can pull out if, if I, in our, I'm, I need a mentor-mentee relationship where I can come and ask questions. That's your takeaway from this? Seriously. <clears throat> All right. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following, uh, the following day at Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we uh, supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. Who had a spirit of divination? Of uh, di- sorry, a spirit of divination. Now notice here that you know that the the narrative is written with in in the we. This is one of the we sections of uh, the book of Acts. This means that Luke is an eyewitness to what it is that he is recording here. So um, let's see here. I want to pull this up. There we go. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit. Of divin- divination, uh, uh, and yeah, this kind of a spirit of Pythos. Now, because of the way the Greek works in there, the spirit of divination. Um, s- many scholars believe that uh, the you know because the, the Greek here, uh, Puthona, talking about pythons or, or snakes, that this is somehow that she was caught up in the uh, the uh, oracle of Delphi, that she was somehow related to that particular cult. So. Um, she had a spirit of divination, she's demon-possessed, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Okay, listen, when demons are proclaiming Christ, don't listen to them. Because here, it's the, the important word is Most High God she wasn't saying the only god she was saying that oh that the, the god that the paul and them are proclaiming is the most high god the, the, you know most high of you know zeus and and all of the other uh, the greek pantheon right so um these men are the servants of the most high who proclaim to you the way of salvation this she kept on doing for many days paul having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her And it came out of her that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Notice Paul's a Roman citizen here. This is not supposed to be happening. When they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. See, this is a great story. Fantastic story. What's Heath Mooneyhan doing with this story? Well, because well, there's a question there. It apparently has something to do with the importance, the principle of asking questions. If you, you know, if you want a mentor or have somebody be a mentee or something like that. Let me back this up so you can hear what he's butchering, doing with this text. Let me back it up
5: just a smidge. Here we go. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling. He was shaken before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was asking questions. Here's what I want you to also notice, the principle that you can pull out those two verses, is, is that people that aren't in, th- this was a person that was in authority, and he never stopped being a student. People that are in authority, notice that Heath asked the question. The jailer asked, what must I do to be saved?
1: Heath isn't going to read the text to answer the question.
5: Never stop being students. Don't think that you have all the answers. Even if you're in the mentor or the person in the authority's position, they can never stop being students. The best, the best teachers in the world are the best students in the world. And so this guy was asking questions. You've got to ask questions, listen, and take notes. Second thing you need to do is put into practice what you see.
1: Can you believe that? I mean, seriously. The best he can do in Acts chapter 16, it's important for you to ask questions and take notes. But the question was, what must I do to be saved? And he never answered the question. This proves beyond a shadow of a doubt he's not qualified to be a pastor because he doesn't even know the treasure that he is handling, that it's right there for him to preach the gospel. He considers that to be dross. Instead, oh, there's a principle here about asking questions and taking notes. No, there isn't. The ultimate question has just been asked by the jailer, and you didn't even see it for what it was. It shows that you're completely blind. You are completely blind to who the scriptures are about and why they are even there. You are not qualified to be a pastor. You are absolutely hurting people, Heath. Step down and repent.
5: Put into practice what you see. Philippians 4, nine says, keep putting into practice all the things that you've learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me. And so- yeah, why don't you read the rest of Philippians so we know what those things are so we can put them into practice.
1: You see how that works? You, you, you quote a verse from the tail end of Philippians, and Paul's admonishing him to do particular things, and those are revealed in the earlier part of Philippians, which means it's your job as their teacher and pastor to tell them what those things are.
5: It's all me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Listen, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing if you have all the knowledge in the world, but you never use it. This is so scary. For uh, this region of people, we live in one of the most blessed countries in the world, and we live in what's known as the Bible Belt. We are that god-awful, ugly rhinestone that is on the center of the buckle that's on the Bible Belt.
1: Yeah, if you really are part of the Bible Belt, why don't you wow us with your Bible Belt understanding of God's Bible
5: Here's it's got its advantages, I guess. I heard, but here's one disadvantage. Everybody thinks they know Jesus. Everybody come on out of the womb, straight into the preacher's arm, got dunked, and then went on. Everybody thinks they know everything there is to know, and so it gets really, really, really scary whenever um, just the practical things in life, because they, they this. We have all this head knowledge, but we never put into practice what we see or what we know. And so I would just tell you, put into practice what you see, because it means nothing to have knowledge if you refuse to use it. The third thing for the mentees would be to show honor. And this is a big one. Show honor. Romans 12.10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. The younger generation has a hard time honoring. Like it's almost like a, a dead language. Um, I believe there's a remnant that, that do know how to honor. But more importantly, honor the people who have helped pave the way for you, especially in the spiritual things. Honor them. I think of a few guys in my life that, um, that I honor. I honor That really helped pave the way for me. Uh, Because I was like the, like whenever, you know, churchy people split up and started picking teams. Like they would pick like their kickball team. Then they'd pick like their soccer team. Then they would pick like their pastor team. Like if we're on a school ground. I was the dude that got picked last every time for pastor team. Uh So I had all this, but here's what I did have, is a couple guys that's come along in my life and said, you know what, I believe in you. I believe in you. Listen, I don't even agree. with.
1: And I believe in Jesus. Isn't that what you're supposed to be getting people to do, believe in Jesus by preaching and proclaiming him?
5: The stuff that, that these guys do with some of my mentors. I don't even agree with some of the stuff that's going on. We have different lives. We disagree on some things. It doesn't matter. I still show them honor. You honor the people that help pave the way. Now I'm gonna, for the sake of time, I'm gonna shift over to some advice for some mentors. Because you have it in you to be a mentor to somebody. I think that you... maybe
1: I can go join the Big Brother program. Your job is to proclaim Christ here, Heath. They can get the Big Brother speech at the Big Brother organization.
5: You should always have somebody that's your spiritual father, and I think you should always have somebody that's a spiritual son to you. I think of my spiritual fathers, uh, not only just are some of my overseers and stuff like that. I've even got a spiritual father in this church. I'm actually his pastor kind of weird. And I look to him as my spiritual father. It's a little freaky, weird position for me to be in. I honor this guy and it's amazing. I just think of you would do really well to find a spiritual father, but here's the thing for the mentors or mother. I'm not leaving you chicks out. I just get on this guy kick every once in a while. I think because it was amazingly strange how the amount of women that are signing up out there, you got all, got this sisterhood thing going on. See, it just doesn't compute in my brain. We, dudes like to do two things. I told you, uh, I've, I've told other people this. I think I might have told the first service or whatever. Dudes like to do two things blow stuff up and eat. Yeah. That's what we like to do. We really love to blow things up and eat. We- you would be helping humanity far
1: better if you would go and blow stuff up and eat and get out of this pulpit.
5: One thing that we don't do very well is pretend like we know what you chicks like to do. <laughs> like y'all are having a Pinterest party. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But there's an amazing amount of chicks out there that was signing up and said, I want to be in a sister. I'm like, what's a sister like? Pinterest parties. All right, that sounds dumb. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, ladies. <laughs> My wife's going to kill me in a little bit. Uh, but if I like invited some dudes over to a Pinterest party, they'd beat me with bars of soap. <laughs> but if I say, hey, all I have to do is mention it in passing. Come over later and we'll, we'll throw some stuff on the grill and blow stuff up. I'd have 800 people at my house.
7: <laughs>
5: so this is advice for the Pauls or the fathers or mothers. The First one is this be an example in the way that you live. Be an example in the way that you live. Titus 2 7 says, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Be an example. Uh,
4: <clears throat> did
1: you catch that part about the integrity and seriousness of your teaching? Uh huh. Um, Let me read to you a little extra from Titus, in case you've kind of missed all of this. Um, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, Or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for game, but hospitable, a lover of the good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Here's the important part. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, they are empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, and they must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always uh, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth." Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get that part about teaching sound doctrine? You're not doing that right now, Heath.
5: Be an example. That's hard for a lot of people to do. A lot of people, uh, we disassociate our our words with our actions. That's why you say, nobody listens to me. Well, are your actions lining up with the words that you're saying? Because a lot of people like to bark orders and tell other people what to do, but their actions show that they don't value the same things that they're preaching. So I would say, be an example in the way that you live. The second thing is to tell stories. Tell stories. Psalm 145, verse four says, let each generation tell his children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. This was a a thing that we had to get very intentional about that we were doing very poorly as a church, as a whole, um, four or five months ago. Because here's what happens. Week in, week out,
1: the acts that they're supposed to tell are recorded in the Bible. They're not the acts in your life.
5: Lots of people's lives are changed. There's so many amazing, crazy God-type stories taking place here. The life changes is incredible. And so we weren't, and we thought, man, all this cool stuff's going on, everybody must know about that. And truth is, is nobody knew about it. Except for, like, the pastoral staff and the team. And so we we got really intentional. This is where we come up with our 30-second weekend review. We start doing some life change stories. We start doing recap videos, stuff like that, because we we needed to get intentional about telling stories, not only as a church, but as a society. We have got to tell stories. If we don't tell stories, no, you need to tell the biblical stories. Stories to our kids of the great things that God's done. It's all, then who's it for? What's the purpose of it? You think God's doing these amazing things in your life because this story is about you? You think he's just going to do all these incredible things because he wants that to die with you? No, you've got to tell your story. You've got to continually tell your story to other people and the next generation. It has got to live on. No, I
1: don't. I need to tell the story of Christ. That's what's found in the Bible.
5: Far longer than you, because the story never was about you. The story is always about Jesus and his
1: power. If it's really about him, why don't you tell me more about Jesus then and stop talking about
5: yourself. And how he's mighty to save. It's not about how mighty you are to be saved. I don't know. Third thing I would ask you to do is share your life. This is where it gets hard for a lot of people. Share your life. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We loved you so much that we shared with you God's good news. Not only God's good news, but our lives. It's not enough, people. You need to love each other so much that you're not only telling others about Jesus, you're sharing your life with them. Right here we call it doing life with each other. Get involved in each other's lives. I love the, the group of people that me and myself personally do life, does life with and me and my family do life with. I love it. I, I think of, of, of guys like Steve that helps me. He pours into not only my life on some certain areas, but he pours into uh, particularly two of my son's lives. It's amazing what my kids will pick up from him. Like good things, not bad things. Like like good things. And Elijah will come home and they'll start telling me, well, Steve did this and that, and I learned how to do this. I'm like, I want to say, I've taught you how to do that before, but it doesn't matter. Because listen, our kids, we got to help out with each other's kids. There's things that you can teach somebody else's kids. That it doesn't matter, it's, it's the way that God will use you, and that will help make that kid like a well-rounded kid, it will teach other people's children certain things, so pour into each other, share your lives, not only with your friends, and but your friends' families. Well, that's what it means to be a spiritual family, you've got to share your lives with each other, but this is so scary because that means getting getting all these different things, but getting vulnerable is one of them that so many of you are so scared to do. You are so scared to get vulnerable. Be like, oh let me just go ahead and say all the excuses for you so you don't have to. Oh, you don't understand how I've been hurt by church people. Me too. Two weeks ago. I think you guys are brutal with each other. Some of you are straight up brutal with me.
4: I hate you. We're never coming back. Blah, blah, blah.
5: Oh, I guess... You just have to get over that.
1: Maybe it's your inability to handle God's word and to rightly preach and proclaim it.
5: I have to get over it. I have to get over it, but you don't. You have to got to get vulnerable. Yeah, people are going to say crazy things. And do things that you don't agree with. My wife does that stuff all the time. (laughs) So do my kids. I love them. I do things to them that's bizarre. Crazy. They just get my wife gets over more things than you ever I promise that you'll ever have to get over with me. She just does. Because that's what families do. We just get over it you say, well, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I don't know what it is that um, we were taught whenever we were younger, like, oh, you don't air out your dirty laundry with anybody else. And so you become this like, oh, I'm a very private person. Me too. Half of you don't know jack about me. I'm very private. Hey, but the people I'm open up with, I'm a little too open. You know what I'm saying? The people are tripping. Be glad you don't know me. You've got to be vulnerable and open up your lives to each other. It's scary, I know, but if you can get past your pride and
1: your... This is nothing but a litany of you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. There's no gospel here. Can you tell
5: me anything about what Jesus has done for me? Preferences. And all of these comforts in your life. God will do it because, man, God is not some mystical, far off away creature or he's not your cosmic Coke machine either. You don't like put two quarters in him and push a button and he gives you what you want. God works, the way that God operates is he operates so much through his church, through his people, if you're closing yourself off from other people, you will never fully experience the fullness of God's blessings in your life. You will never understand. And you'll always sit back and say, Yeah, um, can you back that up with a passage from the Bible, please? Hey, Well, I just can't trust anybody. I, it brings me to uh, this story that I, I thought of this morning because I received a text this morning. It made me think of this. Like... Uh, me and my wife, we
1: really... You're going to tell a story that you got this morning because somebody sent you a text. Rather than read the Bible and actually preach and proclaim it in context, because God went through all the trouble of having the the authors of the biblical text be inspired by the Holy Spirit, so what they were writing was the very Word of God. Okay, I see where your priorities are.
5: I really love... Uh the younger generation, we love pouring into them. And she gets real passionate about um, young women and stuff. And so often we've had uh, young women stay with us and, and whatnot. And, and she does a wonderful job mentoring them. And I do a wonderful job of killing all their boyfriends. And, um, and so we had this uh, one girl. Uh, she's like a daughter to us, still is. Um, she's still my daughter. And uh, so she was living with us. And, um, and Kenzie is helping her out. And then, uh, she brings some jack wagon home and, uh, he happened to be from this church. I was like, I was like, Oh God, I kind of liked the guy, um, before. And now I hate him. Uh, so I'm like, I, I really don't want to murder him cause I'm really close with his brother and stuff like that. And so, um, but I'm gonna have to. And, and so it got real crazy. Anyways, he ended up asking this chick asking like what I would consider my daughter to marry him. I was like, okay. Um, and then I remember they were engaged and I remember this young man coming up to me and he's scared to death of me. And trust me, he had every reason to be scared to death of me at this point. I threatened to cut things off that should never be threatened to be cut off and, uh, stuff like that. And I remember one day he come up to me and goes, uh, I said Heath, can I talk to you? And I said, Yeah. And he comes in and he says, Will you mentor me? I said, What do you mean by that? Oh, you just trying to be my buddy to get in and go with her or whatever. No, 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 no. So I want you to hear me. And he says, I want you to mentor me. I said, How? He says, He goes, I love the way that you love this girl that I'm getting ready to marry. And I want to treat her with every bit of respect that you treat her with. Will you teach me how to be a good husband? Because I love the way that you treat your wife. Will you teach me how to be a good husband? I said, yeah. He says, I love the way that you love your kids. Will you teach me how to be a good father? I said, I'll teach you what I know. And this kid got really intentional and he would meet with me. I would, I would, Put out such weird demands just to test them, and this kid came through every time. And I was never more proud than the day that I got to perform their wedding. And this guy's been a wonderful, wonderful husband to her. And today he's getting ready to be a wonderful, wonderful father to the baby that they're getting ready to have in the hospital today. So it's amazing. but I want you to notice what happened here is that you had one person that he was desperate to be mentored. So many of you want the right things. They sound nice and, oh, I want all that Jesus has for me, but you will never get off your butt and go go grab things for yourself. You'll never grab this Jesus thing for yourself. You will never, some of you, young men are raised in weird homes and all this stuff, and you don't, and you want to be a better husband than what your father was to your mother. You need to go find somebody that's successful in that area and say, I need you. And then if you have somebody that comes up to you and approaches you and says, I need your help, you help them. You help them. Here's the
1: deal. I'll help anybody that comes. There is nothing in this sermon that would offend a Muslim. Think about it.
5: I've got one rule. I say, you want my advice? I'm going to give you some advice. And listen to me. I'll be on your team and support you and I will be here for as long as it takes, as long as you do what I tell you to do. If you don't take the advice that I'm going to give you, you never call me again asking me for another piece of advice because all we're doing is wasting each other's time. Does that sound harsh? I hope not. Sounds strong. That's what we need more of. Who was your hermeneutics mentor? I'd like to talk to him. More strong leaders in this world instead of passive little boys. Get intentional. Help each other. Be part of a spiritual family. Let's pray.
1: Done. (laughs) Oh, man. What a train wreck. And why was it a train wreck? I'll tell you exactly why. Because... The the two times he attempted to really try to show us something from the Bible, he didn't even take the time to read the texts. He just thought he already knew what they were all about, so he just could make any old thing up that he wanted to. And of course, no one's gonna check, right? No one's gonna look at it in context. They're all just everyone left there, and th- there was nothing in that sermon that would have offended a Muslim. Not that uh, offending a Muslim is our goal. But you preach a Christ-centered, cross-focused sermon that proclaims law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, oh yeah, you, you're, uh, you will offend, you will offend greatly a Muslim and anybody else who isn't a Christian. That's because the cross is an offense. But see, Christ wasn't proclaimed. His word really wasn't taught. It was butchered and mangled as we got to hear all the things that were coming off the top of the head of Heath Mooneyhan. None of it constituted solid biblical teaching. Anything but. <sighs> so sad. Pray for those folks. People that are there at Ignite Church. It's a scary name. It's a scary name. And based upon his preaching, yeah, once they get Ignite is that is that the past tense of ignite? Anyway, once they get ignited, um, the, the chances are they'll burn for an eternity. Sad fate, but very real, very real danger for them. So, what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins.
8: Amen.